great Scott. Six financial decisions your future self will regret. Oh, yeah. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. <laughs> you still know, I went, the macho I went ahead and threw in the macho You're man because I kind of feel, I feel a little off in this with my my toilet cleaning ah, gloves, the ill-fitting costume. I'm going to eat half this wig during the show. What could go wrong? Uh, nothing could go wrong, guys. We are so excited, or I should say, I'm so excited about this show. Uh, obviously, every year we try to do something a little bit different. This is our Halloween show. If you're out there listening on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, any of the places where all you have is us coming into your ears, make sure you go out to YouTube because we are dressed as our favorite time-traveling duo. Yeah, their favorite time-traveling duo. People like like Marty not more than Bill and Ted, well, right? I, I think that... Oh, there's the first strand going in my mouth. There are two things that inspired this show today. First of all, Bo Hansen has an outstanding, outstanding Marty McFly puffer vest. Yep, I that do. That you wear on the show. We went back and you've worn it. Oh my goodness, this is going to be a problem. Dude, dude. That you've worn it three dude. times when we've done past shows. Yeah, and um, but you didn't use that. That's okay. Because well, because it was close, but it was like it was. It's like bright red. I told Reby if we're gonna do costumes, they got to be like spot on costumes. It's perfectly fine, Bo. If you want to add another puffer vest to your That's closet fine. at the expense of a bound wealth in the Money Guy show, we'll hook Don't you worry. up. You, you'll see this more. But the second reason we're doing a Back to the Future, how Halloween special is because 2020, I mean, it is probably the oddest year of my mm-hmm. life. And I think every one of us would probably do things a little bit differently if we had a time machine. We'd go back to our 2019 selves and say, hey, if you want to go to the movies on a Tuesday, go, go. to a movie on a Tuesday. If you want to travel and create memories with your family, make sure you get those trips yep. in 2019. Matter of fact, a lot of you guys have even posted a lot of comments when you watch some of our 2019 shows or even our early 2020 shows. goes, wow, that, that didn't age, very, age well. very well at all. So, I mean, there's just so many things that we would have changed. Now, yet we do not have a DeLorean, mm-hmm. but... We do know there's quite a few pieces of advice that we could give you that if you could go back or even going forward now so you don't have regrets in the future. That's exactly right. We want to equip you with six financial decisions that your future self would regret if you made them. So we're going to tell you the opposite, how not to make those decisions, and we're going to do it in Back to the Future fashion. So let's talk about this first regret, though. Okay. Number one is... Waiting till the right time to start saving. Now, in true Back to the Future fashion, if we're going to do a theme show, we got to see the theme all the way through. So Mm -hmm. we said, if we're going to share these six ideas, we ought to come up with some quotes directly from Doc and directly from Marty that might exhibit this. So we're going to lace in a quote with each of these six things. Now, before you put this quote up, this one blew my mind because it had a big money guy crossover that I had no, it's just amazing how the universe wants you to be saving for the future. So what's the quote? So Doc said, if my calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious poop. We're not an explicit show. So you can kind of fill in the rest. That's what Doc said. Well, we know 88 is a pretty powerful number if you've been listening to the Money Guy show for any amount of time at all. Yeah, you guys know. I, I found out about 
saving, investing, letting your army of dollar bills work from you. I had this incredible moment when I was in high school for my economics teacher when he shared that if we just save $100 a month, we would be millionaires by the time we retired. Well, as I started understanding how time value of money and calculations worked, I figured out that a 20-year-old, every dollar they have at the age of 20 is worth $88 by the time they reach 65. So that's why we came up with the concept of 88 times over. Now, look, 88 is powerful with your money, but it's also perfect for time travel. It is perfect for time travel. And one of the things we recognize is that some of us didn't actually get started when we were 20 years old. Well, that's okay because we think that power of compounding interest goes even beyond just starting at age 20. And so we put together this illustration showing how powerful your dollars can be at each age. And we just started with a 10% rate of return for a 20-year-old. We dropped it by a tenth of a percent every year. So we know that even if you wait until 25, your dollars, $1 can still turn into $44 by the time that you get to 65. If you're a 30-year-old, $1 can turn into 23. If you are a 40-year-old, $1 can still turn into seven. But you can see very, very clearly how powerful it is to start as early as possible. And we even created a deliverable. That's right. Though. Everybody, if you just go to moneyguy.com slash resources, you'll see one of our, we have a deliverable titled, uh, how powerful are, how powerful are your dollars? We, I don't know why we, we have, have to change it to wealth multiplier. Wealth multiplier that's what we, we remember. We never remember <laughs> what it's actually titled, but that's actually what it's titled. So go check that out. But here's something else I asked Daniel when we were creating illustrations. I said, Daniel, what we need to kind of show everyone is that it never looks like a good time to invest. That's right. I mean, just historically, it never, ever, ever looks good. Yeah, because if you're thinking about, like, if you've watched our show, you're like, oh, 88 times over, okay, I get that. I want to do it. I want to do it. If that's so common sense, why don't people do it? Why don't people just jump in head first? And exactly what you said, there's always an excuse not to. Well, if you think about it, there's two extremes. If we're in a period like right now, markets are at all-time highs, mm -hmm. you know, reaching every day, it seems like they're going a little bit higher. They're defying gravity. You're like, why, why would I invest in that? Surely sure. they're going to fall any time now. And then the other extreme, when markets are actually getting beaten up, mm -hmm. you're, you, you don't want to go buy then because then the sky is falling. You know, people are losing their jobs. Real estate values are going down. The stock market's getting crushed. Why would you ever want to consider investing money at that time? It's just there's always going to be something that says, hey, it's probably just not a good time to invest. And what I think is wonderful is uh, FTE Daniel went back and pulled. This is not a new phenomenon. So we went all the way back to 1970 to kind of look at, all right, if we look at the S&P 500 and look at some of the big headlines, uh, President Nixon resigning, war in the Gulf, 9-11, and now we have a stay-at-home order during the global pandemic. There's always something to be frightened of, yet when we look at how the broad market, just simply the S&P 500 has performed, it has been a steady walk up the mountain even since 1970 with all of these huge cataclysmic events happening. I think this is a perfect type of illustration that we ought to have a case study Love on. Love it. And let's have a back to the future case study. All right, so let's lay this out. Let's talk about the power starting early. So let's take Marty and Biff. Marty, because he gets it, because I'm Marty, start saving <laughs> at 20. Biff, however, wants to wait, and he doesn't actually start saving until he turns 30 years old. Marty's going to save $200 a month for 10 years, and he's going to stop at 30. So he's only going to do it right for the first 10 years of his working career. 
Biff is going to enjoy his 20s, but he says, you know what? I'm going to start saving $200 a month, but when I start at 30, I'm going to go all the way out until 65. So Biff is pretty sure he's got this figured out because he's saving for a lot longer of a time period than Marty. Definitely saving a lot more money. That's the That's probably the starkest difference here is that you're going to have Marty who just saves for 10 years. Mm-hmm. You got Biff who's going to save for 35 yep. years. I mean, let's just, if we were handicapping this, we'd be like, well, Seems Biff like is going to probably favor. do pretty good. So if you look at Marty, this is how much he saved. From 20 to 30, he actually saves a total of $24,000. And then from 30 to 65, he doesn't save anything else. And we just assumed a 9% rate of return here. But because Marty understands how powerful 88 times over it can be and how powerful compounding interest can be, by the time he gets to retirement, by the time he gets to age 65, Wow. His portfolio is getting close to seven figures. $906,000 is what Marty saved up. Talk about power of your army of dollar bills. I mean, I often say that, guys, here's what you're working towards is if you will start saving as early as possible, Mm -hmm. it's nice when your money makes more than you make with your back, Mm -hmm. your brains, your hands. And here's how it starts. You're going to notice when you start saving, after you've done it for a while, you're like, wow, that's what I'm making a week. Yeah, And yeah. then you're going to do it a little longer. You're like, wow, that's what I'm making a month. And mm-hmm. then it turns into a quarter. And then it turns into a year. Yep. And then that's about the time you go, maybe I'm financially independent. That's, right. that's why it's incredible. Start building your army of dollar bills as fast as possible. But remember, we still have Biff. We have the second part of this case study. So Biff actually didn't save anything from age 20 to 30, zero dollars, but then he got serious and he said, you know what, as soon as I hit 30, I'm going to save all the way time until, all the way until I get to 65. So Biff actually saved $84,000. What's that? Like almost three times yeah. more than Marty saved over that time period? Well, you can see that earning 9% annualized over that time period, Biff has just under $600,000 even though he saved way more than Marty saved. I think this is the biggest difference. People don't ever understand when we're talking about incremental differences of decision-making. That's really when we do these case studies. We're trying to show you if your behavior will just change in this way versus this way, there's dramatic differences. Somebody like Biff, who starts when they're 30 years of age, they're going to be excited that they're worth $600,000. What they don't know is if they started at 20. And then what if you took the Marty case study, but included it with the Biff? Oh, yeah. You actually could add the 600000 that Biff has yep. plus the 900000 that Marty has. You could actually have $1.5 million just from saving from 20 till the end. That's the big difference. I think the person who's Marty, who starts at 20, who says, I'm going to shut it off at 30, you don't actually shut it off. That's right. It's because you get addicted to saving. There's no support groups for those that are addicted Mm -hmm. to saving because you become an empire builder. And that's the important concept I want you to take from this case study. So, you know, in our day jobs, we're fee-only financial advisors. We help people make good financial decisions. And one of the questions we always get asked is, Okay, guys, well, when is the best time to start investing? Or I'm I'm trying to figure out my entry point. What should I do? And we always say the same thing. The absolute best time to start investing was yesterday. That makes the second best time to start investing today. So if you're someone sitting on the sidelines, you've got cash, and you're thinking, oh, I'm just nervous about this market, perhaps you ought to think about how powerful your army of dollar bills can be over the long term Put together a well-thought-out strategy, maybe like a dollar-cost averaging strategy, and think about getting those army of dollar bills working for you so that your future self does not regret 
not getting started early enough. So let's get them over the hurdle of why they might not be investing. And mm-hmm. that it leads to number two, which is making financial decisions based upon emotions. Not the analytics, not what the goals are, not what you need, but off of your raw emotions. So again, in true Back to the Future fashion, we're trying to find some quotes that tie in nicely with the point we're trying to make. And so this quote is from Marty. And he said, <laughs> since when can weathermen predict the weather, let alone the future? What I love is that it really, it, it, this, this is a perfect showing of how good your, I, your costume is. I'm going to be honest. I think I nailed it. Yeah, you I did. think I the nailed it. The only thing that's a little weird is guys just sitting next to Bo. You don't realize until you have this contrast with his hair that Bo doesn't really have eyebrows. <laughs> It looks fine with his normal hair, but when you put a wig on him, the eyebrows just kind of blend into it. And you're like, wow, Bo doesn't have eyebrows. So you're so blind. Yep, that is exactly right. (laughs) Didn't see that one coming. Let's keep it. I'm just, no, these are observations (laughs) that I I have while I'm sitting here as Doc. I love it. Um, So here's what what I wanted to figure out as I eat more hair (laughs) is that we obviously, if you let emotions drive your financial decision making, as I shared earlier, You'll never get in the market because it never looks good. The water never looks warm. It always looks like, why would I get into that situation? And that's why we have to walk you through. You have to understand why you need to still invest. And don't let the media, because the media is trying to sell advertising. They do not care about your wallet. So be careful if you let them influence your financial decision-making and impact your behavior as well as your actions. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, Brian. And and certainly you've seen this over your career because you came out in the mid-90s. And while technology and information was readily available and prevalent, it has to have accelerated since Mm -hmm. the mid-90s. I mean, now... In moments, you can connect with anyone around the world instantaneously and get any piece of information. So we are constantly inundated with information. And I think that's what allows us to be so emotional. There's so many intakes, so many intakes, so many intakes. And again, this is a full-time equivalent Daniel slide that he put together, just showing from 2009, since the Great Recession, since we had the, 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 the 2008, 2009 downturn, what have some of the headlines been from then all the way through 2019? And you can see, the risk of a double dip recession is rising. Time to say it, double dip recession may be happening. Why America's big banks are predicting a recession. Six signs we're closer to the next recession than you think. I always think this is really interesting about prognosticators. If they say the same thing over and over and over and over for long enough, eventually they'll be right. But how many times do you want to follow their advice to get to that one eventually? Well, I I think it ties back to our instincts is that being a pessimist, absorbing negative information, absorbing a warning sign from somebody, it just seems more reasonable. It seems mm-hmm. more actionable. It seems like it's something you should do. Whereas if I told you, you kind of said it. You said, Brian, you've been doing this since the 90s. Mm-hmm. If you would approach Brian Preston, if you had your DeLorean, went back in time with the flux capacitor, approach Brian Preston, who came out of college in the mid-90s, and said, hey, in the next few years, in the next in the, in your working career, you're not only going to see the stock market, you know, double, triple, mm-hmm. quadruple. You're also going to see the way you use 
phones, your yeah. mobile phone that you already think is pretty incredible. Yeah. What if I told you you're going to be able to text message? What if I told you you're going to be able to send pictures? What if I told you you'll never have another VCR? You'll never have another camcorder? You'll never be able to go to Radio Shack because everything at Radio Shack is now on your phone. I would have never seen it. And that's the problem with being an optimist versus a, a pessimist is that you can absorb, you can think about the negative stuff. But the reality is, is that things are going to be so good and they're going to move at such an exponential factor. You can't even cons- understand and comprehend mm-hmm. what's coming. So you fall back to that survival instinct of just saying, hey, it, it, it'll be okay if I just follow this and I protect myself. You just said something to me that I, I didn't realize it was going to hit me the way that it did. But you were talking about some of the advances you saw in technology, and you said text messaging, right? Yeah. Like you remember an era pre-text message where that's not the way that you communicated. And now I would say that texting is so ingrained in the fiber of our being a lot of our uh, team members here at Abound, uh, certainly all of our children, they will never remember a day before text messaging. And yet it seems so second nature to us, yet that type of advancement has happened in the course of your working career. How much more will technology advance between now and the next 30 to 40 years? Nobody has home phones anymore. Mm -hmm. Nobody sets up their voicemail on their mobile phone because the truth of the matter is they don't want you to leave a voicemail. That's right. If anybody leaves a voicemail, I'm like, what are you doing? You're doing it wrong. (laughs) Nobody leaves voicemails anymore. There's a reason I don't have a greeting on my phone anymore. It's because I want you to send me a text. And that's just things are going to move. And by the way, 30 to 50 years in the future we will not recognize what's going on. That's what's interesting about this whole back to the future thing that we're doing right Mm -hmm. now. It went back 30 years in the first series. Mm -hmm. It went forward 30 years in the the second, uh, the sequel. And here's what's interesting. The same time frame that we're talking about for Back to the Future will blow your mind. Now, flying cars will not happen. That's where they kind of jumped the shark sure. in the second one. They forgot about this thing called gravity <laughs> that really can takes a lot of energy yep. to get off the ground for. But it's still kind of, I'm just telling you, 30 years from now, you will not recognize the opportunities. It's just going to be incredible. So go ahead and get in there. Don't let the market, don't let the media scare you into not maximizing that opportunity. Now, I want to give you a huge compliment, Brian, because you shared something when we first started working together. And I was, you know, taking these investment courses and all this stuff. And you said, but well, let me, let me give you an analogy for how investing works. Mm-hmm. And you've been saying this to me for like 15 years now. And we've kind of passed it on to all of our other employees and stuff. But it wasn't until we had full-time equivalent Daniel here as a member of the Money Guy team that we were actually able to put a visual representation with this. And I think it's so wonderful because in rather than seeing the market and thinking about all these negative headlines and all these negative things to be scary, scared of, you came up with a way to completely reframe how we should think about investing. I talk about this. Now, here's what I didn't know before you put the slide up there. I had no idea that Daniel was going to turn my vision for the way I look at the stock market into a prices rice, <laughs> prices right game called cliffhanger. Talk about going because, back. Because I mean, back I was like, bad. how did he just? Was it subconsciously he did this? Because I talk about all the time that if you're just an investor, can visualize that you are walking up a mountain with a yo-yo. Yes. In the short term, that yo-yo is going up and down. Mm-hmm. But as you're doing this activity, you are going higher and higher and higher. So those short-term fluctuations don't really matter. Now, like I said, when I see this visual, this is my, you know the cliffhanger game on Prices Right where it goes, yo, 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 and it keeps going higher as you get the prices. But this is really the perfect illustration to show you 
that this is the way you need to look at mm-hmm. investing. What we think is if you are this person, and we all, we all, until we reach financial independence, are this person, you ought to be focusing more on the mountain and less on the yo-yo. Because the yo-yo is going to go up and down, but you want to focus on where you're going and what you're ultimately working towards. And if you can keep that thought in your mind, it's going to prevent you from making some of these emotional decisions. And and if you need proof that we're going to higher ground, let us show you something else. Because here's the thing. Market could get beat up. We have an election in just a few weeks. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Everybody who's pontificating, they don't know just like we didn't know in 2016. But what I do know is probabilities of long-term success you're going to like it because you have a pretty good shot at making money. So we said, how often does the market go up? And so we went and looked at S&P 500 returns on a rolling basis. And this data goes all the way back to 1926 uh, through 2017. So we have a vast amount of data here. Well, if you just look at daily market movements, about 53.1% of the time, the market's up. So, you know, it's a little bit better than 50-50, but basically flipping a coin. If you stretch that out to a month, it's almost 63% of the time positive. If you go quarterly, it's getting close to 70% of the time positive. On a one-year basis from 1926 through the end of 2017, it's almost 75% positive. If you can go to a five-year basis, it's 87.5%. On a 10-year basis, it's 94% positive. And if you just look at one asset class, U.S. large cap, the S&P 500 on a 20-year rolling basis, 100% of the 20-year rolling periods from uh, 1926 through 2017 have been positive. We could almost have a mini episode off of this one slide Mm -hmm. because there's so many teachable concepts. Here's the first thing. Do you see the correlation between investing and then you staying the course over time? That is the key part. That's the behavioral side. of. Remember, when we talk about number two is making financial decisions based upon emotions. If you're getting in, if you're getting out, getting in, getting out, you're not giving the time period necessary to get these probabilities of success. So that's why when somebody says, hey, I've got some money that um, I'm not going to need for next year, what should I do with it? I'm like, you can't take that risk. You can't do anything Because according to this... You know, you just don't know that you're going to make it out okay. There's too big of a, there's a good chance that you might end up in a bad Mm -hmm. situation. So we always say a good long-term perspective, meaning don't put the money into the market unless you can let it go for at least five to seven years. This backs it up because look, if you can wait five years, you have an 87.5% probability of success. Yep. That's solid. And by the way, add diversification. Oh, that's where I was going. Add that's so diversification and these numbers get even bigger, even quicker because you're smoothing out some of that that's volatility. Exactly right. So guys, they, I'm telling you, we do a mini episode right off of this point. Everyone wants to say, or not everyone, uh, less intelligent investors want to equate investing to gambling. Mm-hmm. That's just not the case because if your time horizon is long enough... Uh, Brian, you told me this. Man, I've learned a lot of life lessons from you. Uh, very first time I ever went to a casino, I think, was with you. And you're like, Bo, let me teach you how to how to uh, trick the system. I'm just kidding. He didn't yeah. say that. He I, said, do, I Look, do have systems. Though. The longer you sit at the table, the more likely you are to lose your money. That's kind of just the way that goes. Investing is the exact opposite. Yeah. The longer you sit at the table, the more likely you are to make money. And you have to reframe it that way. Well, that's because the, the house has these probabilities mm-hmm. stacked in their favor. Here, what's interesting, a lot of the games that build these huge casinos 
have the probability on their side of That's almost right. like the daily stock market, like 53% versus 47. We have, if you can keep it in there for 10 years, 20 years, you have a 94 to 100% probability you'll be okay. That's right. So guys, just keep it in there. Don't overreact and, and screw yourself up. That's the biggest takeaway from this. Leading to number three, I want you to always be a learner. So the biggest regret, biggest mistake is not being a lifetime learner. Yeah, this one is so huge. And again, uh, back to the future fashion, we're going to throw a quote in here. And this is what Marty said in wisdom that was well beyond his years. If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. I mean, I think we're pretty good case studies. Uh, we are 100% case studies of this because neither one of us uh, inherited wealth or came from you know super wealthy beginnings. But because we were lifetime learners starting at a young age, we made some wise decisions, it's been able to lead to a life of financial success. And I think what's amazing about the opportunities that all of us have now is that's available to everyone, no matter what your background is, where you come from, your skills and talents, everyone has the ability to do that. Yeah, I mean, both of us grew up in South Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, you know, South Atlanta is not, you know, if you think about where affluence is in Atlanta, it's not in South not Atlanta. In the South it's, you know, it's, uh, most of the affluence flows to the north side. So we went to schools that if you went on all the rating agencies, they said that they're just okay. They're okay. Or they're, right they're even middle. struggling. You know, that's one of the things I know that on free and reduced lunch, we come from schools that weren't considered top tier. But here's what I think is interesting. Education is such a powerful concept that even going to schools that on paper shouldn't be ideal, it was perfect for us. It lit the fire to it lit the, the, the essentially the fuse to, to I realized very quickly from a young age, if I was a good student, this was my ladder of opportunity mm -hmm. to climb out. And that's why I tell you, I don't care what school you're in, I don't care because that's the other thing. Here, here's the thing that drives me crazy about the national media. They talk about all these, and look, we have, I don't, I don't want anybody to mishear this because we work with Ivy League mm -hmm. clients. Sure. We work with you know, people from great institutions like MIT. Yep. But I, don't want, I want somebody who's out there who's at a school like in South Atlanta, who's are, are graduated, and I don't want them to have this chip or thought that they have a limiting belief because they didn't go to an Ivy League school. Right. Guys, you can do it. You just have to have the hunger. You have to have the desire because realize we have a stat that we share on the show all the time. 80% of millionaires are first mm -hmm. generation. I mean, that is something that I want everybody to understand. When they, somebody tells you, you cannot do this because you don't come from the right family, you don't live in the right area, don't let them lock you in because you can do it if you believe it. And I think what's beautiful is the thing that we want to encourage you to be is a lifetime learner, right? So obviously, even though you know we're able to do this show, we still are trying to learn more. We're still trying to increase our skill set, advance. It's the same thing in the millionaires that were interviewed in Dr. Stanley's book. It's the same thing for the millionaires that were interviewed in Chris Hogan's book, Everyday Millionaires. And so we wanted to share some common traits that we pulled from the books just about the way millionaires behave, yep. right? What they do. Uh, and this is just a few quick ones. Uh, millionaires read three and a half hours more per week than average. Yeah. So they are constantly consuming information. Now, this was a little unique because... There's a lot of folks out there that aren't necessarily like readers. A lot of folks like to listen to audiobooks or listen to podcasts, or maybe you watch like really awesome YouTube videos called The Money Guy Show. I would say that that kind of stuff falls into adding knowledge. Is well, that I a think, fair I assessment? That, oh, yeah, because here's the thing. I think that people get thrown by 
You see that somebody will write some blog post that says the typical millionaire reads 26 books a year. Right. I just made up a number. It's not really 26. Just because you can read Harry Potter in three months doesn't make you successful. <laughs> right, I mean, it, it really isn't. So I do think there's a curiosity here. Millionaires read three and a half, three and a half hours more per week. I think what that means for me is... I don't think there's anybody that reads more trade journals. Sure. More, I keep up, you know, I, oh, I'm, yeah. if you have a question about anything in pop culture, as politics, or just economics, I probably have read something on yep. it because I'm just, I, I am, I have a, I don't read a ton of books because I just truthfully don't have time. Sure. But I read more than most people out there. But you I do think. listen to a ton of audiobooks. Also, you normally listen, when you're in the car, you listen to That's more of let the mind go, yep. let it do its thing. Okay, so here's the next thing. Uh, millionaires also exercise Three hours more per week than average. All right, so quick. Did, did we do this on purpose that I get to be the nerdy guy no, who reads no, look, the books this and then you. you get to be the guy who no, breaks shirts I'm, by I'm not even going to get – y'all should see the shirt underneath <laughs> this. It's nuts. I think I really could flex and pop it. Maybe we should do a video after this, Reeves, where I do that. We'll make it uh, specially Hulk available. Smash. Hulk smash on the shirt. Here's what I think is interesting. True or false, Brian Preston loves exercising. No. I'm just trying not to die. No, he does not like it at all. However, Brian Preston understands deferred gratification. So he's willing to trade 30 minutes to an hour a few times a week right now where he is in life so that Brian Preston is 60s, 70s, 80s can enjoy that life a little bit more, can the have a little bit better quality of life then. Best part of a workout is the end of the workout, <laughs> the stretching at the end. You're like, whoo. Made it home. So part of being a lifetime learner is making sure you're around long enough to use the information that you've learned. So millionaires exercise three hours more per week. And then I thought this was interesting. Millionaires uh, said they use social media 11 and a half hours less per week. That's crazy to me because I'm thinking about how many hours does that mean that the average American uses social yeah. media and millionaires are 11 and a half hours. That's just kind of mind-boggling to me, but I guess that's sort of the world we live in now. By the way, because we've used this stat before, Money Guy Show is exempt from what that's you're right. trying to cut we're, out. We don't, yeah, I, I don't we're not social media. I don't confused we're, by that. We don't, we we're lifetime as, learning. We're educational entertainment. Love that's it. a little different than social media, so make sure you, you understand. When did you lose your glove? I, I it, it fell on the ground. It's uh, it's fine. I didn't need it because I, I I needed I needed I, I needed now, all my my digits. I just now noticed that. So you're... number four, <laughs> guys, we spent a lot of time on this one. Failing to plan for the future. Yeah, this is a this is a great one. Um, again, okay. So before we jump into the point, we ought to talk about the quote that we found in the movie that ties in really well. And this is from Doc. He says, "Your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has." Your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Man, I didn't realize Back to the Future dropped so many wisdom bombs. <laughs> it's almost as powerful as Pitbull in his lyrics. I've used some of his lyrics oh, yeah, on no, shows before. So. Um, but, it, but here's the thing. <laughs> what is it? Feed a man? What is it? Teach a man to... I don't know. Oh, we're going to We're going to totally screw it up. But um, failing to plan is planning to fail. I feel like I just stole that line from Bo because yep. he's constantly saying... Another one that Bo uses is... Um, is Begin with the end Begin in mind. Begin with the end in mind. I'd like to take credit for it. I think I got that from Mr. Covey. Yeah, uh, seven habits of highly effective people. But it, it really is. And by the way, this topic right here, you will see, I think, in an upcoming Q&A, we're going to have a doodle duel. 
Dueling doodle. Are you doodles. really telling about it right now? Are well, we, yeah, I'm are just we setting the let stage because that that's what we were considering. Um, it's, but here's <laughs> the thing: Creepy just buried her hand. It's all right. Yeah, we, we run this thing off the cuff. We got to keep it moving though, because I don't want to. I don't want to lose the bet that this show's going to go 60 minutes. Fair the difference between goals and dreams is that you actually write goals down. You put pen to paper. You write it. Put it into your your computer. You put it into your phone. That's how you turn a dream into a goal that you're going to start working towards the measurable things that you are doing to, to walk towards it. I think that is so pivotal. And Brian, I want to give you credit because you're one of the first people I heard say this as well. I think you should say that again because it's that powerful, that important. If you guys are out there on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, quote this, put it out there because this is so true. Say the quote one more time. Well, I just think that a goal, a dream does not become real until you actually write it down and turn it into a goal. Yeah, what we have found is that people who fail to plan, people who don't kind of like recognize I need to actually write my dreams down so that they can become goals are the folks that just let life happen to them. We all have friends and relatives and colleagues, and they're just kind of like going through their day-to-day, no real purpose, no real drive, no real vision for where they are going. Those are folks that are just dreamers. They're not doers, and you have to figure out how to turn those dreams into goals and how to turn yourself into a doer to accomplish that. Well, I go a little deeper in the fact that you I've, I've been to so many practice management conferences back when you could do conferences. That's another pre-COVID yeah, thing. Say, What's a conference? conference? <laughs> you know, give it enough time and we won't even know what a con- an in-person conference is. But a lot of these conferences, we talk about, you know, figure out what your ideal client is. Right, try to go look at your client base, figure it out. I, I saw this for years, never did it. The first time actually wrote down, sat down and came up with a mission statement, came up with what my ideal client, and then looked at my existing clients. I was like, wow, this this was a pretty powerful exercise. And then fast forward 12 months, fast forward 24 months. Guys, I'm telling you, it's like I woke up an invisible hand in my brain Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden started working towards, even while I was sleeping, getting to me to where I wanted to be. So when I fast forwarded three years, four years in the future, my firm was a completely different place. And I can't even tell you the one or two things I did differently other than I sat down, wrote down what I wanted to accomplish, and wrote down what the measurable things were, and it started happening. I bet a lot of you guys, if you're not doing an annual net worth statement, mm-hmm. if you're not actually figuring out what you're trying to work towards, get to work on doing that because you can wake up that invisible hand that will work for you night, day, it will happen. Yeah, I, I think that's beautiful, Brian. As we were thinking about how, do, how does one turn their financial dreams into goals, we kind of distilled it down to a three-step process, yeah. right? So these are the three steps we think you can do to turn financial dreams into financial goals. Number one is be an adult and set realistic expectations. You know, some of our most popular videos is net worth by age. Yep. You know, is debt level by age. Yep. You know, we, we try to do this on purpose, guys, because what I, what I don't want you to fall into is when you go watch a content creator's website, a financial website, or, or YouTube, is that, or listen to a podcast, is somebody will tell you what 45 and 50-year-olds, because that's what most financial planners, their mm-hmm. clients are 40, sure. 50s, 60s. I want 20-year-olds to know they have different goals or that's different right. behaviors they're supposed to be doing than 40-year-olds. So that's why we create these by age series, figure out what you should be doing in your stage of life and make it happen. And then you got to think about what are your specific talents and abilities, and then be realistic about what you can control. If you're someone who's maybe like 5'3", and you have visions of playing in the NBA, 
We're not saying it's impossible. It is certainly possible. But if you don't have the skill set that would allow you to do that, be realistic about the things that you can control, the things that you can't control, and focus on those things that you can control. So be an adult and set realistic expectations. Step number two, and this, you already said this once, Brian, know where you are right now. Yep. The two biggest questions we get from folks who are thinking about hiring us are, hey, guys, I'm just trying to figure out what, I don't know where I am. Am I on the curve, behind the curve, ahead of the curve, can't find the curve? And then where am I going? Those are the two questions we get <laughs> That's all the exactly time. exactly right. So you got you to gotta put some tools to that. You got to actually put some, some action. What are the actionable steps? Remember, we're turning those dreams into goals by writing them down. Do the net worth statement. Yep. I've already talked about that. You also have to know what are the fears. What are the things you're concerned about? And that's why you want to plan for, you want to do estate documents. Yep, absolutely. You want to make sure you have the wills, the power of attorneys, the healthcare directives. Man, after 2020, you definitely need to have a plan absolutely. of action. So if you couldn't speak for yourself, that it's going to be there for you. Life insurance. Mm -hmm. What if you have a family? that is counting on your income to continue to live the life or to pay off the mortgage or to fund education goals. Guys, term life insurance is so dirt cheap. Get out there Absolutely. and get in that and make sure you're protecting your family. Any rules that. of thumb for how much insurance one should buy? The, the, the thing I always tell people, do 10 times your income and then add if you have any big debts like sure. mortgages to that number. You should be in a, at least give your family a pretty good start if something should ever happen to Great. you. Great. What about, uh, so it's actually funny, uh, life insurance is not actually the most underinsured insurance that we see. Right. Most folks kind of get that. Oh, I'm afraid to die and I'll go buy life insurance. There's another type of insurance that we would argue is potentially even more important that we see go overlooked. Yeah, it's disability insurance. Because think about this. This is actually a more, this is even a worst case scenario. And the fact that not only are you no longer able to work, you might now be essentially, you cost money. Yep. I mean, because you you're, you didn't die. Now you're disabled. You're not able to work. You, you have health care costs. You have other things. Disability insurance will help to at least get you on your feet as well as plan for the future if you did have something unexpected happen like that. And then do you are, are you sure that you have all your property covered? Is your property and casualty set up in the right way? Do you have the appropriate homeowner's coverage? Do you have the appropriate auto coverage? Do you have umbrella insurance? If you don't know what umbrella insurance is, go do a quick Google search. Because if you have either an income or you have assets, you're probably someone who needs umbrella insurance. It is super, super inexpensive. And it will cover you against those unforeseen life circumstances that can pop out and hit you. No doubt. Man, I think we covered the insurances and the mm -hmm. risk, but also make sure you're doing that positive thing. Like I said, the net worth yep. statement, know what your assets are doing, know how much debt you have. You'll be in a better place and wake up that invisible hand. Number three, Bo, what's so, that? Number three is if we know where we are now and we have a good grasp on that, then we need to know where we're going. Yeah. We need to know what the steps are. If you remember the guy with the yo-yo and the mountain, what are the steps to get from where I am right now to where I want to be on the mountain? So Begin with the end in Begin mind and know mind. what your why is. So these are the, the big parts of, you know, when we talk about it, I, I, it's almost like I hold it up every episode. <laughs> it it's foundational. <laughs> if you go to moneyguy.com slash resources, you will see we have a free deliverable, the financial order of operations. It is a non-step process. Guys, the reason we talk about this so much is that you ought to have a plan for every dollar that you have. Yep. And if you don't know what you're doing, and by the way, if you look at the free deliverable, now a lot of you, you might make it through step nine, and that is a big congratulation sure. moment. We have the abundance cycle. We work with people all over the country. Mm -hmm. But some of you guys are going to look at this and go, I want more. 
I, I think I, I need some help on this. I need somebody to nudge me. I need some data gathering forms. I need something that's a little more structured. We also have a foo course yep. that I'd encourage you to go check out, but go download the free deliverable first, see where you are, go ahead and create a plan so that you will know what's going on with every dollar in your army of dollars. Love it. All right. You want to move on to step number five. What's the fifth step that we should make sure our future self does not regret that we screwed up? Well, I think this is a big one because usually a lot of us in our journey to, through life, you will meet that special person that's probably going to be your partnering mm -hmm. in the whole goal building, trying to figure out how we're going to navigate this financial life that we live. So that's number five is not communicating with your spouse about finances. So then again, you know, what we're doing is we're trying to tie in the movie. We're trying to get some quotes in here that tie in. Now, this one actually isn't from Doc, and this actually isn't from Marty. This is from your pops. This is from my dad, George McFly. And this is what George said. I'm afraid I'm just no good at confrontations. All I can say is I'm sorry. There's a lot of us, I think, that struggle yeah, with that. Yeah, there's a lot you, of us that struggle with that. You just don't, you know, it's just easier to bury something instead of have a conversation mm -hmm. about it that might be a little uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, we deal with this even with some clients when they come in. They don't have estate documents because they go, man, having that discussion, not with just my spouse, but also my loved ones, mm -hmm. is going to be tough. So communication financially is a huge hindrance if you don't get in front of this. To let you know how important we think it is, uh, the very first meeting we have after someone decides they want to become a client of our firm is we actually look at the, the spouses, the significant others, individual risk personalities, risk profiles, because we want them each to have a voice in the financial planning, investment design process, because it matters that both people know we're on the same page and working towards the same goals. If we think it's that important, that it's the first thing we talk with fee-paying clients about, you should recognize it's pretty important. It should be a conversation that you have with your spouse. No doubt. There's even some research, by the way, on how mm -hmm. important this yep. is. Um, Daniel found this on Business Wire, and it, here's, here's the way this is set up, is that they asked marriage couples, and they said, do you rate yourself as having a great marriage, an okay marriage, or a marriage in crisis? Mm -hmm. Of the marriages that rated themselves great marriages, 94% actually have active discussions about their financial goals. So happy couples talk openly about financial goals. Am yeah, I summarizing 94% of people who describe themselves as having great marriages are having conversations about money. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Good communication is not only going to be helpful for money, it's probably going to help with a lot of other things that you're going to struggle with in marriage. That's a key thing. I mean, I've been to... Uh, you know, in my marriage of 22 years, 23 years, I mean, there's been, you know, there's <laughs> been ups watching. and downs where you actually want to go talk to somebody professionally. The first thing they're going to do when they mm -hmm. diagnose your marriage is how often are you guys talking about things? Yep. How are you doing on flowing through these things? And that led to, because marriages that are described as okay or even in crisis, mm -hmm. you know what that stat was? What's that? 45% said, only 45% said they talked about their financial goals. So more than half of the folks that were upset in their marriage or that had troubled marriages were not communicating about finances. We're not having open conversations around that. That means it's probably pretty important. It's probably something you want to make sure you're on the same page yeah, with. Yeah, you could definitely extrapolate that communication about financial goals is so important that it could be the determining factor that takes you from just having an okay or a marriage in crisis to actually turning it around to having 
that great marriage. And that's what you want. You want happiness. Now, don't mishear us. Now, we recognize in all, all relationships, and I would even argue that both uh, in my marriage as well as your marriage, it's not uncommon for one spouse to kind of drive the financial ship. They're kind of the financial head of the household, or they stay on top of everything. But it's really important that both spouses know what's going on, and they both agree on what they're working towards and why they're spending money and why they're saving money. So what are some things that couples can do even if there is that one that's kind of driving the boat to make sure that they're staying on the same page. Well, there's definitely some resources and tools. The first thing, we've talked about this a lot, and I, you know, we still have it available out there, the 30-minute financial yep. plan. You can go out there and look at it, and part of that 30-minute financial plan is going to be a net worth Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. template that you can download. Um, you ought to look at this, because guys, if you're not measuring your net worth statement, at least annually, I think you're missing out on a great value add, and it's also a great way to communicate with your spouse on what you guys have. Essentially, a financial inventory yep. of what's going on in your life. Just because I tell my wife all the things we have going on financially and I describe our accounts and where they're located and the insurance, I can't be positive it always sticks. That's not the way her mind works. So one of the things I love is I actually use our net worth statement as a mechanism to say, hey, babe, if something happens to me, here's your document that tells you what we have, where it's at, and how you can access it. I think that is so important because if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, she's going to be dealing with the uh, with just the pain of losing an awesome husband and an incredible father. But she's also going to have to figure out how to start navigating all the financial pieces. So if I can put that in place to help her, it's certainly something worth doing. So this is just to kind of know where you are. Mm-hmm. You also kind of look, what's the other big thing that's got coming in? Is we're trying to make sure that you're not income statement affluent Mm -hmm. and not actually building that secret thing that's under the surface, which is net worth, actual building assets and wealth behind the scenes. And one of the easiest ways to do that is you've got to have some type of financial system. First, you start off with budgeting. If you're not using some budget tools, because look, I talk about cash management plans Mm -hmm. and we're, look, we got, we know you guys want to talk about force scarcity because you know, that's a big Mm -hmm. part of me. You know, what's funny, Bo, we kind of skipped through it is that there are a lot of studies out there of how many hidden, you know, purchases spouses make sure. and they hide from their significant others. Right. I think what I what I find interesting when I see a stat like that, when you see how many people are hiding financial purchases from their spouse, how many people are practicing forced scarcity <laughs> where you're not it's not hidden, it's not a secret, but it's just you're squeezing uh-huh. those savings yeah. because remember you're addicted to saving and investing, building your army of dollar bills, that you create those artificial scarcity moments. I do this in my oh, house yeah. all the time, babe. We are hey, broke. broke. We are we're struggling broke. this month, and it's because we have forced saving opportunities yep. that do create that forced scarcity. Before you can graduate to a cash management plan and a forced scarcity plan that ever is ever expanding, use something. You need a budget or some type of app mm-hmm. so you have some tracking to know where every dollar is going. And then last but not least, I wanted to bring this up. This is kind of a newcomer in the last three years for me is LastPass. Mm -hmm. Now, look, the net worth statement is outstanding. For years, I was printing this off. My wife was putting it in um, one of her drawers in her dresser. We'd have a discussion. We'd go out Mm -hmm. to dinner, discuss this net worth statement, talk about the changes. But then my wife had a key statement. She said, hey, this is great. How would I get into any of these accounts? I don't know how to get into any of this stuff. And that scares me. If something happened to you, because, you know, every now and then I go on a business trip or I I go out, you know, go off 
um, you know, to go play golf with some mm -hmm. friends or something. She's like, what happens if you didn't come home? How would I get into these accounts? LastPass is your friend not only from a password management system, but it also lets you create shareable files sure. and folders where you can put all of your shared data points. You know, you can put your mortgage, you can put all your banks, you can put your credit cards, you can put anything you can think of that has a password into LastPass, make it shareable. We do, you know, look, we ought to have some type I, I was of about sponsorship. To, I was about to but say, we don't. We, we're not sponsored by any of these I'm companies. I'm telling you we, this completely because I think it's good behaviors mm -hmm. so you can protect your family and make sure that if something ever did happen to you, that at least somebody would be able to have securely access to your financial life and yeah, accounts. I think the big thing is there's nothing wrong with helping and leading and being the, the, the anchor to the financial household, but you want to make sure that all the other parties know what's going on and are equipped with tools that will help them be an, be an asset to you as you continue to manage your financial life. Number six. Number six on decisions that your future self will not regret. Will 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 regret future decisions? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, you got it. You got These it. are future decisions that you will regret. <laughs> got it. If you make them now, which is following bad advice. Uh, okay, so as a that's not the money guy show, by a, the way. As a financial, well, let me do the quote first. This quote uh, is from. Is this your favorite scene of the movie? It's not the favorite. Which, what's interesting is I'm now through movie two because my, my youngest daughter. Of course you're rewatching. No, Why wouldn't you rewatch them all? So this weekend we watched the first one because I felt like, hey, to do this show right, which I've used no doc quotes. You know, like I haven't, my boy Marty or, you know, Great Scott, <laughs> you know, boy. or the gigawatts or whatever. You know, I haven't done any of them. So it, truthfully, I just had movie time with the family. So we watched <laughs> the first one. Great movie. It was just as memorable as I remember. The second one. Ooh, hasn't aged well. Really? Has not aged well at all. That is it because we've tough. aged and it used to be the future and now it's technically the my, past? My daughter is now telling me we're going to watch the third one. Oh, I'm going to pop some popcorn for it, I guess, and make it, <laughs> make it enjoyable. But here's the thing I did think was interesting. That guitar scene where Marty plays Chuck Berry, mm -hmm. they made it as part a crucial part of the second movie, the sequel as well. And I guess it was kind of cool seeing um, you know, him... him Play the guitar, Michael J. Fox back then. Right. So it, it's still good. Yeah, it's a, it's a good scene. Here's why Bo is bringing this up. Daniel, who who knows if Daniel has even seen Back to the Future, <laughs> when he put this quote in originally, he just had some random he had picture. A, and just I was a like, weird picture. I was like, this picture doesn't tie to the quote. So we now have an appropriate picture with so the quote. So here's what Marty said. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. And I think about, as a financial advisor, one of my biggest frustrations is when I talk to a prospect or I talk to a client's family member or a friend, and they tell me, hey, I did this thing because this person told me to, and I just sit there and shake my head thinking, oh, oh no, you have no idea how bad of a situation or how less than optimal your circumstance is because you followed bad advice from someone who had no business giving you advice. Yeah, and, and, and look, even bringing this on brand with Back to the Future, mm -hmm. remember the second movie, the entire premise was that Biff got a hold of a sports of almanac, sports almanac. where right. he made himself the richest man in, a, in a, like the world because he couldn't miss with the advice that mm -hmm. he was given out of that almanac. Unfortunately... That is not the reality of what's actually going on. There's a lot of bad advice out there. Mm -hmm. Think about this. Here's what I think is interesting is that investing. Guys, you know if you've been watching The Money Guy Show, 
if you ask us foundationally, where should those dollars go? We're going to talk about index yep. target retirement funds are your friend. Absolutely. So when I say the word index, that means it's not an active manager. Mm-hmm. It means you're buying the market itself. Why is that so powerful? Well, I think people out there listening saying, Brian, well, that just sounds so boring. I mean, if I go out there and I study and I research, I can go find the funds or the fund managers that are just going to do the best, right? I can go pick the ones because I'm smart enough to find the guy who's figured out the secret, right? Well, well that's because I think the average investor, you can get sold anything. And that's why it's so important. If you're going to be protect yourself, you have to be an educated consumer, know what your core beliefs are, so that when somebody comes to you, you kind of know if it's malarkey or if it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing. Here's the truth. If you don't have a core philosophy of knowing what's going on with your money, you're constantly going to be on defense. That's right. And that's just not how it's supposed to work. Financial success is not for counterpunchers. Right. You want to be very proactive, very deliberate with what you know, and you just you you back it up with analytics, you back it up with your goals, you back it up with your why, and that's going to make you so much more successful. So when you say back it up with analytics and back it up to numbers, this is a slide that we've shared before. So we just wanted to go, look, why do we love uh, indexes when it comes to investing? Well, it's because if you look at the performance of active managers, and this is the percentage of, a- of active equity funds that outperform their state of benchmark over the last 15 years. If you just look at large cap, 87.7% of active funds over the last 15 years underperform the benchmark. Under. Underperform. Underperform, meaning that 12.3% of active managers outperform the mm-hmm. index. Here's the other dirty little secret. Consistency. They don't, the 12.3% that wins this year won't be the 12.3% that wins next year. Right. That's what they have found in the research. So, why in the world? Remember when we talked about investing, why it's the probabilities of success, if you can just give it five years, seven years, Mm -hmm. 10 years, the probabilities of success go so close to 100% that you feel really warm and good about it. Mm This ought to be a wake-up call for a lot of people on why they might be investing wrong. But it's not just large cap. If we look at mid-cap, 82% of mid-cap managers underperform their benchmark. On the small cap side, 82% of small cap managers underperform their benchmark. And on the international side, almost 88% of active managers underperform the benchmark. So we, as professional investment managers, as professional financial advisors, have come to the conclusion that instead of wasting all of this energy trying to beat the market, why don't we just go out there and be the market? Why don't we just buy the low-cost index fund to get us exposure so we can focus less on the yo-yo string and more on the mountain? Well, this leads to, this slide specifically is a great transition point because if you look at this, we see large cap, we see mid cap. Mm -hmm. We see small cap. We see international. Should we just do, because there is a very big pundit out there that says, just do, hey, look into these four asset classes. Just do 25%. 25% into each one of these. What could go wrong? Just 25 to everyone. You'll be, it doesn't matter if you're 20. It doesn't matter if you're 60. This is the asset allocation Mm -hmm. for you. No, we know that's not how life works. We know that a 20 year old, 
you ought to be lighting it up. Yep. You ought to be swinging for the fences because actually the worst thing that can happen, which is the market going down, is actually a great thing for your 65-year-old mm -hmm. self. So you should be very aggressive. However, fast forward to the 65-year-old variety. This is very Back to the Future brand here, is that the older version of yourself is not going to want to continue to swing for the fences. There is something about not only making wealth, but keeping That's wealth right. that is a big part of this. So a lot of you guys, if you're brand new to investing, you're like, how do I know how to do that? How do I know? And Because that sounds complicated, and it can be. Having the right diversification, the asset allocation, can be somewhat complex as you change and go through life, but there's an easy solution that the market's created. It's called Index Target Retirement yep. Funds, Fidelity Investments have some of the larger ones. Um, Vanguard has yep. some. These are all low-cost options, don't have commissions, and they're going to do exactly what we say, is that when you're young, in your 20s, it's going to have every one of these different groups and even more, but it's going to be very aggressive. As you get older, that glide path is going to bring you down to a more and more conservative investment. And that is something you ought to consider as you're getting closer to retirement. And that's going to be a great thing. Is it, it does all the heavy lifting for you for a really low cost. So I think it's interesting. So obviously there's bad investment advice out there, Brian. But unfortunately, bad advice doesn't stop strictly with investments. I think one of my biggest pet peeves, and it's got to be because I hang out with you and this just nerdiness wears off because you were a professional tax preparer for 16 years, years yeah. 17 years. And one of the things that really uh, cooks our goat, is that an expression? Is that, I don't know. If <laughs> You're that, in the South. You can make is that an expression? Like that. Yeah. Uh, is when people get bad tax advice and we see this all the time. Well, remember, and this can fall in two camps. You know, there's the aggressive where everything's deductible until you get caught. And then there's the super conservative where you're just doing, you're, the tax preparer is just preparing whatever you showed mm -hmm. up in your shoebox with. Yep. That's not great preparation advice either. So I just want to tell you, tell you that you do need to pay attention to who's preparing your taxes. Make sure that they're trying to be an active participant as well as so you're finding all the deductions that you're legally entitled to, as well as to make sure that if you do have complexities in your life, that they're being handled mm -hmm. appropriately. And also, it's, it'd be great if you have somebody who can bounce ideas off of yep. so that when you watch a blog post and they say, everybody ought to go do rental property. that That's the one that drives me nuts. is because people, you have to understand the overlying implications of financial decisions you make. I answer the question at least three times a year, and a lot of times it's from even clients who are very successful, have very healthy incomes, very healthy net worth. They say, you know what? I got to start doing real estate investing because I need to get me some deductions. Yeah, I need, I need to start a tax getting, I need to that's, get the tax deductions. That's the exact point I was headed towards is, look, you can make great money in real estate. I'm not picking on real estate, but it is amazing how it's made it into the narrative of society that once you reach a level of success, you need real estate because there's going to be great annual tax deductions for you. No, because once you make over a certain level of income, all you're going to create for yourself is great tax-deferred right. deductions that you'll get when you eventually sell the property because they, they won't let you take those annual deductions each year. These are the things you need to take about. What is your why? Mm -hmm. So you don't fall susceptible to bad advice or getting in bad things just because you think that's what you're supposed to be doing without understanding the real reasons behind that decision. Now, again, don't mishear us because I can already feel the trolls. I can hear them coming up from under their bridges. 
We're not against real estate investing. We think that real estate is a fine way to invest, assuming that you've followed the appropriate steps and it fits into your portfolio, but do it for the right reasons, not because your Uncle Tony told you that you can go get a bunch of deductions. That's not the way yeah, that it don't works. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog. That's I right. mean, that's, that's the big thing because we see a lot of people, look, there's a reason. When I first started doing taxes in the 90s, I remember all the K-1s that I would get from all the tax shelters and, you know, like, oil trust and other things that people jumped into because this is the way you shielded yourself from taxes. Well, when they got blown up by tax legislation changes, people were left holding the bag. So don't take bad advice from somebody. Look, paying taxes stinks, Mm -hmm. but pay your share and don't go chasing some waterfall of a fault situation that's going to save you. I know it was a TLC reference. These things just come to me, but just be careful how you focus your energy so that you don't get yourself in a bad situation. Understand the why of the situation. So bad tax advice cooks our goat. This next one, uh, it just saddens us, really. It's bad estate planning advice. Yeah. And usually this advi- this bad advice is given with the best intentions. Or lack of advice. Or lack of advice. I mean, I've even run into this with some of my own personal family members because it's not uncommon when somebody in your family all of a sudden starts struggling um, with health issues that family members like, oh my goodness, they've heard of estate taxes, so they scramble around and go, we, we got to go take mom's accounts and name. get them out of her name as soon as we can. And we're always, are they, let's go move the house. The house needs, the mom's house needs to be put into all the kids' names before she passes away. Right. And you're like, why, no. why did you guys do this? Because you realize there's this thing called step-up and basis right. currently where whatever, if you have appreciated securities – you pass or any asset that's mm-hmm. appreciated, you pass away. You don't that you don't pay taxes when that's you right. inherit it, and so yet you have people who have given away all their Coca Cola stock that they've had for on 50 the deathbed years, of yeah. their of their grandmother, or they've given the primary residence, and you're like, why did you guys do this? You have made horrible decisions mm-hmm. that are going to screw up your taxes going forward, and and so be very careful when you're making those big financial decisions. Don't do it off the folklore of something you might have seen a movie about. Because, by the way, Hollywood doesn't understand tax law. <laughs> so it's, you know, because that's what there's all kind put, of Hollywood hey, premises and movies that are unrealistic. I mean, half the solutions in movies in Hollywood is we're going to go do a dance off and win money to buy mom's mortgage. <laughs> I mean, think about it. These things don't make sense in reality. So why would you take estate advice yep. from them, too? Pay attention to those things, you know, and it's also the titling of accounts. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing is that it's not uncommon that you'll have somebody who'll be like, you know what, you know what's easy? I want, I want you to be able to get access to my account instead of going and setting up trust and doing things right. It'll just go, I'm just, just going to put my daughter on, on my yeah. account. I'm just going to go put her on the account. It'll be all right. Those things can be very dangerous. You're keep creating gifting situations. You're creating potential tax bombs that could blow up in your face and you didn't even realize you did it. Because the bank, they probably won't ask you any questions. Mm-hmm. When you just go add a daughter or a son onto the account, they're like, all right, here's a form. There's pr- implications beyond just putting them on the account. So one of the things that you can do to protect yourself from getting bad advice is to seek good advice. Now, we've already put this out there. We've already said it once. If you want to look for like an instruction manual for what to do with your dollars, when thinking about saving and accumulating and building, you can go check our, our food deliverable. This is on our website, moneyguy.com slash resources. If you want to do a deeper dive, you can even check out our food course where we kind of go through each of these nine steps. And you're already taking a huge huge step in that direction. You're watching this show where we try to lay out good, sound financial advice with almost 
no ulterior motive. Almost no ulterior motive. We do have the abundance cycle. We do have the abundance cycle. And that's cycle. one of the things I, I want to tell people. Why do we offer financial order of operations? Why is there even a course for this? Is because we're trying to accelerate your success. Because I even, I was in an event and like, what? What do you do for a living? And I was trying to explain it to him. I was like, I know, really, we give away free advice. Like, what? You give away free advice? I was like, no kidding. We give away free advice. And he's like, how does that work? And I was like, we call it the abundance cycle. I, I, I want people to come learn as much as they can. Once they get to 500,000 and a level of success, look, complexity just happens naturally. Right. With success, you're going to realize, oh my goodness, this thing has gotten big. I'm nervous about, am I going to make a mistake? What do I not know? Mm-hmm. Or just the fact that you realize it's not only building wealth, it's the keeping the wealth, and you want to have a good co-pilot with you. People reach out to us, yep. and they be- and that's how this thing pays itself forward. That's right. It's a really incredible thing. And um, guys, we're so blessed. I mean, I got to tell you, I am so thankful. We couldn't keep growing the show. We have a brand new um, production person that's, that's right. going to be starting yep. in the next month. That's right. Um, Money Got Team is growing. Money Got Team is growing. And it's all because you guys are making it possible. When you wonder, why do we have the financial order of operations? Is this just so Brian and Bo have a great Christmas? No, it's so <laughs> that we can go hire new employees exactly right. to keep this thing growing and giving you even better content. Here's the only thing I have regrets about today and I'm pretty upset about. I was crushing that time. We were going to be done with this show at 52 minutes, and somehow you got me so daggum excited about two or three points. I think you did it on purpose. You won the bet, and this show is over 60 minutes. I'm so mad God, at you. We've been doing I this for a decade. I was crushing this show. This is going to be a 52-minute show. Yeah, we've been doing you this for a decade. Me. I know where this is going to go. I know this. This By the is way, your fault that this thing is a 60-minute show today. Thank you guys so much for letting us do this. Thank you for letting us dress up in Halloween costumes and deliver theme shows. I hope that you enjoy it. If you don't, don't worry. The normal shows will be back with no costumes. But we love getting to do this, and we love that you're out there. We love that you're members of our family. But if you're a member of the family out there, and you've not subscribed, you've it's, not... You've it, not. It's not a flux capacitor, it's, but it's a counter. We need it to hit 100,000 by the end of this year. So if you've not subscribed, make sure you do that. Ring the bell. Don't be a foo. Go hit the like button. That one. Just, what do you think? <laughs> Nothing? Almost? We're getting there. We're getting there. Thank you. We're moving the needle slowly but surely. We're moving the needle. Thank you for letting us do this. We love getting to do this with you guys. Money Guy team, out. The Money Guy Show is hosted by Brian Preston. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through The Money Guy Show. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.